Good morning. I want to welcome each of you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we thank you for, for being here and would love to get to know you better and invite you back to be with us again. Good to see so many of our college students back in town and uh, looks like they all survived their semester, so that's, that's great to see. For the, uh, the mothers, we want to say Happy Mother's Day to you. Hope you enjoy your special day today. We'll have our uh, full announcements at the end of services, but just encourage you to, to pick up a Rome journal and uh, take a look at all the activities that we have coming up. We've got quite a few um, activities planned for this summer. I just encourage you to take a look at that and, and get involved where you can. Also, uh, we'll have a youth intern starting with us in two weeks. Sam Moore will be with us, uh, and that'll be in two weeks, so that's coming fast. And we look forward to having him here um, working along, David and Chris, with our youth this summer. Uh, this morning, Dwight Dumford will have our reading and prayer. Alan Payne will be presiding at the table, and Jason Stevens will have our closing prayer. And as we uh, prepare to, to go into our worship services, I'd like to read from Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we come to you at this time, Father, thanking you, Lord, for this first day of the week that we can gather as a body of believers, Father, to worship you, Lord. And, Father, we are so thankful for your love for us, for your plan of salvation, for your son, Jesus, Lord, that you sent here to, to save us from our sins. And, Father, we just ask your blessings upon our services at this time. Pray that everything that we do is in accordance with your, your word. And, and Lord, that um, we will just clear our minds and, and put our focus upon you, God, and, and, and uh, worship you as, as you deserve to be worshiped, Father. Father, we're mindful of so many of our numbers that are struggling this day with various issues, and we pray your blessings upon each of them, and pray for those that are unable to be here today, that they can get back and, and be with us soon. And, and Father, we are thankful for, for your church here at Rome. We're so thankful for uh, all that you've done for us. Father, we just ask that we can be a light in this community, that we can bring more people to know you, Father. Father, just thank you for all that you do. Forgive us when we fall short and sin against you. It's through Jesus we do pray. Amen. Won't you stand for the first song? First hymn this morning, number 220. 220, He Lives. I serve the risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever they say. I seek his hand of mercy, I hear his voice Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Please be seated. <clears throat> Next hymn, number 391. 391. <clears throat> Let me live close to thee. <clears throat> and after this hymn, Brother Dwight Dunford will have our scripture reading and prayer. In my field, I would build circles bright and true. In the heart, for the heart, I would dare and do. Spend my days in my praise, all the journey through. Let me live close to thee each day. Where I go, 
scripture that Chris has chosen today is in Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 55. Luke 1 46 through 55 and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And Mary said my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of this ser- his servant for behold From now on, generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Will you go God in prayer with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful this day, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy upon us. We ask you, Lord, to be with us in this service as we worship you and be with those that, that present the lesson today, be with Chris, be, be with uh, Alan as he presents the Lord's table. And, and God, we thank you for every, every good and, and perfect thing, Lord, that you have done for our lives. And we give you the praise and the glory forever. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 726, We Saw Thee Not. 726. We saw thee not when thou didst come to this poor world of sin and death, nor yet thee thy body told in that Nor we die in glory. 
About 2,000 years ago, there was a young lady named Mary who was a virgin, but she was uh, betrothed to a man named Joseph. Then an angel appeared to her and gave her the good news that she would indeed be carrying the Son of God. And this Mary, in the coming months or so, witnessed many signs that kind of reinforced this when her cousin Elizabeth was about six months pregnant with John the Baptist, as we know, when they first met, that John the Baptist recorded as leaping in the womb, excited about the Son of God. And Mary was excited, and who wouldn't be? You're about to give birth to the, the Son of God, and yet she ended up doing that in a manger, a lowly manger. But even there, there were people, shepherds, who came to visit her, and then later on, another house, Magi, came to visit her and brought her gifts. And people recognized that her son was indeed the Messiah. When they took the son through the temple courts at a very young age, there's a man named Simon, or Simeon, who was told by God that he would not die till he saw the Messiah. And he was so excited when he saw Jesus, because he knew he could now pass. And Anna the prophetess also recognized who Jesus was. And at the age of 12, when Jesus was at the temple, people were astonished at his understanding. And I like how Luke mentions it twice in his book. He says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And she kept him in there thinking about them. Um, Mary was indeed a very fortunate and uh, woman. We don't hear much more about Mary until uh, many years later uh, when her and Jesus and some of his disciples are at a, a wedding. And of course you know the story when they run out of wine. And I always find this interesting, this is a typical mother, when she goes to her son to say they're out of wine, Jesus' response, well, what's it, what's it to me? It's, a, it's not my time yet. Mother doesn't say, you go do this, Jesus. She says, 
tells the other people, do what he says. Do what he says, because she's a mom. She knows he's going to take care of stuff. Now, that was the beginning of his ministry. But I get the impression from this and other verses that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was around him his entire life. Um, and probably the saddest was at the cross. I, uh, I get sad. I look at some of the famous Renaissance paintings of the uh, Jesus on the cross. Well, when Jesus is taken from the cross, and Mary is there, Her son, the son of God, was crucified on the cross, but she was still there. And after Jesus had risen, and later on, we do read one more time of Mary, who is with Jesus' disciples. She was joining them in the upper room in constant prayer, still thinking of her son, Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a time for us to remember Jesus' sacrifice. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, never forgot. Her son died for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you in humble prayer, Father. So grateful for all that you've given to us and all you've done for us. Father, we're so grateful that your son was willing to die for us, to shed his life that we might have life. Father, we're thankful for those who were a part of his life, who helped him, helped him to grow and to mature and to, to become that one and perfect sacrifice. Father, now as we partake of this bread, the emblem of his body that was shed on that cross, we pray, Father, that you'd help us all to do so in a manner that is pleasing in your sight. Watch your oath, Father, and please bless it. In Christ we pray, and amen. Our Father, we come before you, Father, in prayer. Again, Father, thanking you for Jesus, that he was willing to shed his blood on the cross. Father, that his blood might redeem us. We're so grateful for this. And as we now partake of this fruit of the vine, the, the emblem of his blood, help us to remember the blood that was shed for all of us. Help us to do so again in a manner worthy, worthy Father, we pray that you would bless it and bless us. Christ, we pray and amen. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. He established his church that we might, again, carry on his work. We now have an opportunity to give back a portion of the blessings that we've had, 
The Lord has blessed each and every one of us so much. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for all the things you bless us with, all the material things we have, our homes and families and our employment, Father. We're just so grateful. We pray, Father, now that we have an opportunity to give back a portion of the funds, the money that we have attained, Father, we give it back to the church. May the work of the church be carried on properly. May, may great things be done. Father, we pray that you'd help us to grow, help this church to grow in number and in love. It's in Christ and we pray. And amen. There is a boxes in the back, if you don't know that, where you can put your contribution. Let us please stand, and we'll sing hymn number 291, 291. I know not why God's wondrous grace. This time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, Invitation hymn this morning, number 337, Is Thy Heart Right with God? 337. This time with the Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. We're excited about the, the events of today and the opportunity we have to celebrate you and what a blessing you are to our lives. 
uh, have had a, uh, a godly grandmother, I have a godly mother, and I have a godly wife. And I'm just so blessed by all those relationships in my life. And today we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about uh, moms and wives in Scripture. So let me turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I kind of previewed this a little bit last week in, in our lesson on marriage. So I wanted to follow through on my promises to talk to you about Genesis chapter 2. And Eve's relationship there to Adam, uh, God calls her his helper. And, 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 and in our society, helper seems to have become one of those off-putting words. Godly moms, you're going to redeem that word helper today. In our society, you're going to redeem that word. What does it mean? Well, let me walk you through this passage. It's Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. He says it again in verse uh, 20 of the same chapter. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, like we say, helper in our society usually means someone that's kind of derogatory. It's a servant, someone who is second class and... It doesn't necessarily come with those connotations in our society, but it certainly doesn't come with those connotations in Scripture. Let me walk you through how this word, this helper word, is usually used. Flip over to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 70. We've got three verses I want you to look at in Psalms. And look for that word, helper. Psalm chapter 70, verse 5. The psalmist says, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God, you are my help. There's that word, help, and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. So who's providing the help in Psalm 70, verse 5? It's Yahweh. It's the Lord, right? Flip over to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, verse 1. There again, you see, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There again, you see, the Lord is the one providing this aid. He's the one who is the helper. One more verse in Psalms. Psalm 146, verse 5. Psalm 146, verse 5. Psalmist says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. This word's used about 20 times in Scripture. This, this word of helper or help, it's used about 20 times in Scripture. Two or three times it's used of someone helping others. Two times it's used of Eve there in Genesis 8, 2, 18, and 20. Fifteen times it's used of God coming to people's aid. 15 times. Most of the times when God says help, he's talking about divine intervention. He's talking about him rushing to your aid. Gentlemen, your wives are literally a godsend to you. Ladies, you are a godsend. He has given you in this life as an aid, as someone who rushes to the help of your husband. There's nothing derogatory there, is there? We're redeeming that word. 
Last week we talked a lot about marriage. You don't buy into the world's view of marriage, do you? You don't view into you don't buy into this idea that it's it's a throwaway thing that it's not important. We don't buy into that in the church because God doesn't teach that, does He in Scripture? And so you you don't believe that, but it's something that the world teaches us, isn't it? That that marriage is very flippant and it's not important. And that's not the way God views Scripture, or that's not the way God views marriage. It's not the way Scripture views marriage. My point here is there are a variety of things that you don't buy into that the world tells you. Don't buy into this idea that because Scripture calls you a helper, that you're some sort of second-class citizen, that you're not as vitally important as the man or any of those type of things, he uses this word to normally talk about himself as he rushes to mankind's aid, and he's bestowed that title on you. This is not something that's insignificant. This is a word that we can and should be redeeming from the world, just like we've redeemed marriage, just like the church has redeemed a great many of these concepts that the world has perverted. They shout that this word means something derogatory. It does not mean anything derogatory. In fact, it is God's, you are God's, crowning achievements. You are very good. Without you, life would not be what it is today. This makes perfect sense. When you go back to Genesis chapter 2, flip back over there real quick with me and look at Adam's response as he sees Eve for the first time. And gentlemen, uh, I uh, entreat you to go back to your wedding day and in your mind's eye, notice your wife walking down the aisle. And I think you will have the same reaction Adam has here in Genesis chapter 2. Look in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he was asleep, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So if we can put it in these terms, God does the surgery on Adam over here and he leaves Adam there and he goes over here and he creates woman and then he brings Eve to Adam like a father would bring his little girl to the marriage altar. And so God has done that, but check out what Adam's reaction is here in verse 23. Notice his very first words. Then the man said, this at last, at at last. Those are his first words, at last. Is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be be called woman because she was taken out of, man, those words, at last. Those are are poignant, aren't they? They they bring to our minds this this visceral reaction we all, every man has had as he watches his bride walk down the aisle it's that, that feeling, isn't it? I, I think Adam has that feeling. At last, there's someone just like me. Because up until this point, there hasn't been anybody just like him, has there? It's hard to grab a hold of Adam's mentality at this point in life because you've never been there. He's literally the only one who's ever been there. He is literally the only one on planet Earth that has ever been alone. And so it's hard for us to go all the way back to that, that day 
and understand what he's been given, this gift, this incredible gift that he's been given through the creation of woman. But allow me to try. Maybe some of you have been in foreign countries where they speak a different language than you do. And so you're looking around for something. You're trying to get to a place and all the signs, you can't read any of them. And you go to ask for help and there's no one who speaks your language. You are by yourself for days and days and days on end. No one to talk to. No one who understands you. No one who looks like you. Everyone is different. You begin to get this very small picture of where Adam is. In the previous verses, God has brought all the animals to Adam. And Adam's job has been to name each one of these animals. And this is God's way of of saying that Adam has dominion over these animals, that mankind has dominion over these animals. There's there's importance and a name. And you see that with Adam, you see it with Eve as well. Their names mean things, and these things are important. And so Adam gives these animals names, indicating his, his rule over them. But he seems to notice something as... He gives these animals their names. I don't, I don't know what this looked like. I don't know if this would have been. Um, there's two lions standing there, and behind them in single file line, there are two giraffes and two, you know, two tigers. I don't know how it looked like, but in my head, that's kind of how it, it functions. <laughs> and so he gives them their names, and they walk away, and they go live happy lives. And the next one in line, he gives them their names, and they go live their happy lives. And he notices as he's doing this that... Each one has someone that looks like it, that, that is its companion, that is its soul, uh, that is its partner. And it has to sink in after so long, after naming each one of these things. Adam kind of looks around and, I don't, I don't have anybody like that. I'm, I'm by myself. I don't have companion. I don't have a partner. I don't have a friend. There's no one like me here by myself. It's the first time of creation when God says something's not good that tells you anything. On days one through five, everything was good. Adam is good. Creation is good. But it's not good that man is alone. And so God creates woman and he and she is the one who provides aid, like God provides aid to mankind. You see how it's not a derogatory title anymore? He's lifted that up out of the muck and the mire, hasn't he? God has redefined what this word means. At least he should have in your mind. We can't allow this word. Um, we talked about submission last week and, and helping this week. These are not dirty words. These are biblical words. These are words that God uses. We have to define them God's way. They are not bad words. This is, he's lifting this up. And he's telling you who you really are. That ought to enliven us. That ought to embolden us. And so today I wanted to talk for a little bit in our time remaining about a godly mom. What do they do? I think they do two different things. Uh, at least two different things. Yeah, advance my slide. I, mean, I guess the clickers did. Hey guys, can y'all advance my slide? Thanks. 
A godly mother prays. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. You meet here a lady named Hannah. She is married uh, to a guy named Elkanah. He has another wife, at least one more. Uh, her name's Peninnah. Peninnah has a great many children. Hannah doesn't have any. Um, God has, has withheld children from her for whatever reason. And now she is pleading with God to give her a child. And the child that will be hers will be known as Samuel. He's the, the great prophet, um, the great judge that will judge Israel for the next six, seven, eight decades. This child will change the way Israel goes for almost an entire century. And so her life ought to be focused on. Um, she has some influence here. And so what? let's walk through uh, Hannah's story. You find it here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Penaniah is uh, Elkanah's wife, and Penaniah is taunting Hannah because of the lack of children she has. And it, the scripture says, deeply hurts Hannah. If you've ever had child problems with, with um, uh, fertility, maybe you know some of Hannah's issues here. Uh, this, is, this is a wound that's, that runs quite deep. And when Penaniah taunts her, it's like rubbing salt in an old wound. And her, her grief is staggering. You see it here uh, in in First uh, Samuel chapter one, where she is deeply distraught. She is in a great deal of pain. I think one translation says that she is deeply wounded. The word there is used. Several other times in Scripture, and in fact, it's actually used in Genesis chapter twenty-one, verse sixteen. You know what's happening in Genesis twenty-one? Hagar has been forced to leave Abraham's household, and she's been forced into the wilderness at this point. And she has brought some supplies along with them, but her supplies have run out, and so she's in the middle of the desert with a child, without water and without food. And so in, 21, in uh, Genesis 21, 16, she sends the child, his name's Ishmael. She sends him uh, a distance away, about a bow shot away, because she doesn't want to watch him die. They're about to starve to death. They're about to die of thirst, literally die of thirst. And so she sends the boy away because she can't bear to watch him die. And so... In twenty one sixteen, Genesis twenty one sixteen, the word he uses there for wept is the same word that that Samuel uses here uh, when he talks about Hannah weeping, this distraught, this wound. It's incredibly deep. Uh, it's it's incredibly painful for her. She is deeply hurt. Moms and lots of folks deal with pain like this regularly. These are things that can be and should be brought to God. Flip back over to Psalms. I said we weren't going to go back, but we are. <laughs> Psalm 137. 
verse 1. Remember I said this word weep is used several times throughout Scripture. And this is another one of those places where God uses this word weep. And so I think there's something to be learned about um, what we should do here. Psalm 137, verse 1. The, the Israelites are in Babylonian captivity at this point, and uh, the, the Babylonians are, are, are kind of taunting them. Sing your songs now. Sing your praise songs now. And so they sing this psalm of lament. This is how it starts in Psalm 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. They're remembering Jerusalem and how good it was in Jerusalem and the relationship that they had with, with God in their homeland and how they could go to the temple and worship. And there was all this ecstasy. You know, there was just this relationship was there. And they were just so happy. And they look back on that time now and they're broken. And they, they just weep. Interestingly enough, the Psalms are prayers. They're not just songs, although Israel would have sang these song, psalms. They're also prayers. This is a prayer. Psalm 137 is a prayer as well as a song. And so what do you find the psalmist doing in the middle of his incredible grief? He's bringing it to God. What do you find Hannah doing it, doing in the middle of her incredible grief? She's bringing it to God. You too, when you're in this type of anguish, need to call out to the Almighty. He is the one who is able to save. Often we'll go to a variety of places when we're in this type of pain or doubt. Or when we're in this type of pain, we'll go to maybe a self-help book. We'll go to a marriage book. We'll go to a parenting book or friends for advice or things. Those things are fine, but the first place that we need to go to and the place that we need to go to most often is the Lord of creation because He's the one who has the answers in this realm. That's the glory of prayer. We know that as we call out, as we cry out, that He listens and that He comes to our aid. That's the promise. Not every prayer is answered in the affirmative, is it? Some of them are answered in just wait or no. But he's always there, right? He's always right there with us, hurting with us. He knows exactly what that feels like because he gave his son. So he understands that pain and he's there to help us. Flip back over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Godly moms pray. That's, it's one of the things that, that makes you a godly mom. You're, you're modeling that uh, for your children, for those around you. I think it's so interesting. Uh, Hannah's story here in chapter 1. Uh, we didn't walk through it, but let's walk through it now. She is deeply distraught. She's in this dark spot, and so she goes to the temple. She goes to God's house and she prays there, interceding, asking the Father for help. And she receives it. But the high priest, this guy named Eli, he's sitting over there beside the temple and he sees her. And she's, she's mouthing the words apparently, but she's either speaking so quietly or she's not saying anything. But he can't hear her and he misconstrues the situation and thinks that she's drunk. And so he walks over to her and he castigates her. 
Incidentally, if he had done this for his own children, his own two sons wouldn't have turned out like they had turned out most likely. But he apparently lets them off the hook. But he castigates her for this infraction, this perceived infraction at least. Uh, and she, she has these words in verse 15. No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Verse 17, Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. It's probably the first time, uh, maybe not the first time, that a man has had egg on his face because he (laughs) he castigated a woman. But... Uh, definitely this spot, he has misunderstood the situation. And Hannah sets him straight here. What's so interesting is happens in chapter 2, toward the end of chapter 2, um, in verse 11, about the middle of chapter 2, uh, for Samuel 2, verse 11. Hannah has conceived a child. The child is born. He is weaned. He's, I don't know how old he is. Three, four, five, somewhere around in there. He's old enough to kind of take care of himself. And she brings him to the temple. Uh, and she's going to give him to Yahweh. His life will be in service to Yahweh from now on. What's so interesting, she meets Eli again. This is years later. He's forgotten who she is, but she reminds him. You know, I was the woman that you thought you know, was drunk. And I said, no, no, no. I said, if I can't have a child, I will give him back to the Lord. This is... What happens, and what's so interesting, is what is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11. Then Okana went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. And so she follows through on her uh, promise there. But flip back over to uh, chapter 1. In verse 28, this is Hannah speaking. She says, Therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Who worshipped the Lord? It wasn't Samuel. Certainly not Hannah. The, the uh, pronoun there is masculine. He worshipped the Lord. I think he's talking about Eli. Eli was impressed with Hannah's faith and with God's faithfulness. In regards to the child. And so the outpouring here is worship. Your faith and your prayer life, moms and dads and everyone else around you, rubs off on those around you. And it may not, he may not answer your prayers in the affirmative, but those who are around you and seeing you pray, it rubs off on them. Hannah doesn't pray for Eli. She prays for Samuel. But Eli is blessed because of it. If your routine is one of prayer, not only do you get to intercede on behalf of others to the God of the universe, but that routine also rubs off on them, on those who are around you, those who are closest to you, your family. Right? Godly moms pray. Flip over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Let's talk about one more mom. 
Hannah holds a special spot in, in, uh, in our family because we have a daughter. We named her after this Hannah. Uh, she is such a faithful woman. Uh, another of, our, of my favorite moms in Scripture is Mary. I'm just so impressed with, with Mary as well as with Hannah. Um, and in Luke chapter 1, you find this incredible song that this young lady has, has penned. Um, I don't know how much you know about Mary and her upbringing and stuff and how marriage has worked in Israel, but she is quite young. She is probably around 15. She's a teenager. Uh, when she is betrothed to Joseph, when she becomes pregnant with Jesus by the Holy Spirit, she is a young, young lady. Her song that Dwight read for you this morning from Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55, is riddled with scripture. Let me show you. I don't know if you can see that or not. I got this off of a, off of a website, but it, uh, it's true. Um, and so check out what she does here. Her song mirrors that of Hannah. Hannah sang a song as well back in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1 and 2. She sings a song, and Mary's song mirrors Hannah's song. Both of them have similar components here. Both women will exalt God and talk about salvation. Both women will refer to God's holiness. Both talk about how God humbled the mighty and exalted the lowly. Both use the analogy of the hungry being filled and the wealthy becoming poor. She's mirroring, mirroring Hannah's song. And it's not direct quotations, though. That's the interesting part. Had it been direct quotations, you could have, oh, I understand that. She's, she's quoting Hannah's song. She doesn't quote Hannah's song. She is so steeped in Scripture that when she praises, Scripture rolls off of her tongue. Isn't that interesting? This little girl, this young lady, no doubt grew up hearing the stories of Hannah and Sarah right, of Rahab and Ruth, all these great heroes of faith that are women, of Esther, right, who saved Israel. She no doubt grew up hearing these stories. And so when her heart is bursting with joy that God has chosen her, this teenage girl, to be the mother of God, her heart's so bursting with joy that she goes back to Scripture and she says those things. She mirrors those, those thoughts. She's not quoting, but they're, they're, they've sunk down inside of her and they've changed the way she thinks. Right? Scripture does that, doesn't it? It's one of the beautiful things. And so a godly mother is steeped in Scripture. It's important that your faith is evidenced in front of your family. It rubs off on them. Not just your prayer life, but also your study life. Here's, here's a young lady who has an impressive faith, has an impressive study schedule. This little girl read her Bible, right? She's steeped in Scripture. She knows this book. 
You need to spend so much time in Scripture that these stories start rubbing off on you too. And so when you encounter sadness, you reread the story of Hannah or Hagar or Sarah. When you are afraid, you reread the story of Esther or Rahab. When you are excited, you reread the story of Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. You filter your life through this book. That's, that's what godly moms do. And I know you know these things because so many of you are such godly moms. This is a reminder. It's a beautiful picture of what God has given to us in the family, isn't it? This idea of being a helper, of being a divine aid, of you bringing your family to God. This is the way you do it. You pray, you study your Bible, you work the spiritual disciplines. That's what godly moms do. There's power there. Godly moms pray and they're women who are so steeped in Scripture that it exudes from them. You don't let the world define who you are, who you are because God has already defined who you are. This morning, <clears throat> maybe it's time for you to take a stand on what's important. If you need to be baptized into Christ, we want to make that possible for you this morning. We have everything prepared. If you're really ready to make the decision, have you counted the cost? Have you thought about what's necessary? What life's going to be like after that baptism, the sacrifices that are necessary for this kind of life? We've talked about a couple of them this morning. I hope you have. I hope you're ready to make that decision to be baptized into Christ, to have your sins washed away, to lead a brand new life as a new creation in his kingdom. Maybe you've already made that decision and you just need the prayer so this congregation to be who God wants you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Just be so
We have two young ladies that comes forward this morning wanting to put Christ on in baptism. They go to Ironton, and there is a denominational congregation there that on Tuesdays they have an adventure club. And they have attended this adventure club for a couple of years. And that denomination has the altar call. They teach them that they need to be saved by calling on Jesus' name. But these two young ladies have been coming here, and they have been taught the truth that to become a Christian, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. They realize that baptism is what washes away your sins. You come in contact with Christ's blood through the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and they understand that. Uh, Kathy and I have been talking to them and going through lessons with them, and they do believe and they know what they need to do to become Christians. They're excited, and this is something they've been wanting to do for four or five months. We just wanted to talk with them and have lessons with them and make for sure that they know they're doing it for the right reason. At this time, I'll take their confession. We'll sing a couple of songs before they prepare for this. Let's sing 714. You'll need your hymn books. 714. Trust and obey. We'll sing the first, second, third, and last verse. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His word, what a glory He said. Not a burden. 
Turn to 717, uh, one of my favorite songs to sing, especially after baptism, 717. We'll sing that as soon as the baptism is over. In the meantime, 454, 454. Are we ready? Okay. 717. that Jesus Christ and you'll believe that he is the son of God I now baptize you for the remission of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen and Thorberg upon your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you believe in that. I baptize you for the remission of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I heard an old, old story, how a baby came from glory, how he gave his life for Calvary, to save a like me. I heard a huge glory of his precious love. He loves me. 
Well, good morning, church family. What a great day the Lord has blessed us with. A couple of announcements uh, before we are dismissed. First off, I'd like to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, and we do love you and appreciate you and glad you're here with us this morning. Um, also, uh, the May calendar is out on the foyer table. I'm uh, glad to see this back out on the table again, so things are getting back to normal when I see a calendar out there, and also has where all the men are serving and uh, doing scripture reading and prayer. That's on the back of the calendar. So uh, don't forget to grab your calendar on your way out. Um, also, uh, there's a teen devotional uh, for middle school and high school at the Knapp's house after services tonight. Um, if you need the address, see the Knapp's or see me, I'll be more than happy to give you that address. Also, on um, June 5th through the 9th, we'll have VBS here. Uh, it's a luau theme. should be a lot of fun. Uh, grass skirts and flowers and, and all that fun stuff. But um, looking forward to everybody coming to, coming to that. And also, we're still needing volunteers to help teach, uh, to get involved. There's a sign-up sheet on the foyer table. Uh, not a foyer table, the foyer board. If you can help out with that, please sign up as soon as possible. Uh, Fort Hill is coming up uh, July 3rd through the 9th. Um, in order to receive the discount, you need to sign up by May 15th. Um, also, for, um, for those who remember Daniel Hughes, 
um, he is graduating college. Um, uh, there, his address is out in the foyer board if you want to send him congratulations on uh, that, that achievement. Uh, so for those who remember Daniel Hughes, and I'm so glad to see all our college students back home. Um, so glad to see all of y'all back home. It really is a blessing. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jennifer Baker in your prayers as she undergoes her cancer treatments. Also, Merrick, continue to keep Jim Haney in your prayers as he undergoes tests. Uh, Merrick, continue to pray for Charlie Boso and Alice Boso. Uh, there's just a lot going on there. Uh, um, so just remember them in your prayers. And Babe Jones is not doing well health-wise. So remember to keep Babe Jones in your prayers. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer, and I hope everybody has a wonderful Mother's Day lunch. Thank you. Let us please stand one more time. We'll sing number 336, Is It For Me? We'll sing the first and last verse, and Brother Jason will have a prayer. <clears throat> Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest? For thee so weak and sinful, close thou be so blessed. O Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore? And magnify and praise thee and Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful spring day that you've blessed us with. We thank you for the opportunity to come here and worship you. We thank you for the blessings you give to us. We thank you for the two baptisms today. We pray that you'll be with those young ladies, Lord, and bless them, comfort them, care for them, and keep them safe, Lord. We pray that you'll be with all those who are here and those who are unable to be here. We pray that you'll be with those who are sick. We pray that you'll be with those who are hurting today, Lord. Watch over them and, and comfort them. and. Lord, we pray that you'll go with us now as, as we depart. Keep us safe, forgive us, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.